hi everyone welcome back i hope your day is going well i hope your week is going well or your morning nighttime lunchtime i don't know whatever time of day you're listening to us i hope you're having a good day so far i just wanted to give a huge thank you to every single person that listened to last week's podcast i literally had the nicest messages sent to me and i just felt full like it was the nicest thing to hear and feel especially because i had so much nervousness and so many doubts about putting that out there so it just meant the absolute world to me and i really appreciate it and it kind of encouraged me to get comfortable with the idea that maybe i will Maybe I will do more episodes like that. I'm not I'm not sure. We'll see. We're going to take it day by day. But yeah, my week has been going pretty good. I'm feeling a lot lighter. The beginning of the month was so hectic and crazy for me and I think that I definitely took on a little bit of too much and The way my body reacted to it was very like, I was just kind of like shutting down and I wasn't able to like focus on tasks as they were coming. It was like, it's hard to explain, but I kind of felt like there was a no end to the things that I was doing, even though it was kind of just like I had to get through two big things. And then after that, it was such a nice release. And I think that even recording last week's episode towards the end of the month gave me a little bit more clarity and understanding and focus and I think now I'm feeling even more balanced with that like being calmer is allowing me to feel so much more gratitude at all times in the day which I am super thankful for I have been taking myself to the sauna I went twice last week and I'm going tomorrow. It's just so needed. It's still a little bit cold outside. So being able to like warm up and sweat it out and just release so many toxins has been really great. Also, it's kind of just like me sitting in a box for an hour, not looking at my phone or thinking about anything else, which is like lovely. So yeah, I've been doing that and it's been fantastic. Okay, so today's episode, I am so excited about this. So it's with my friend, Noemi. She truly is a serial entrepreneur. I don't want you to kind of be like stressed out by that term, but she has started so many businesses. And why I think she's so remarkable and brilliant is that she's able, she was able to kind of like find that bridge of wellness between the tech space And then also just like the health space. And she merged those two together and she created some really incredible services and apps all all through digital, like literally not my world. That stuff like can't be me, but just listening to her journey and her story and how her brain works when she sees a problem and she's able to find a solution to it and she kind of just goes for it. She also owns a honey brand, which is so incredible. The honey is from Congo and it's also where she's from, but it's also forest honey. So typically the honey that we get in stores 
isn't forest honey. So this is really unique. And she talks about all the benefits that come with it and why it's so different and a little bit more of her journey like that. I don't want this episode to kind of make anyone feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough because when I talk to her, that's how I feel. And she even stops me throughout this episode being like, hey, stop comparing. Like we're all on our own paths. Some of us work differently than others. And she's definitely one of those people. So yeah, another thing we get into. So you'll notice she actually doesn't have Instagram anymore, which I admire as much as I love Instagram and all the things that come with it, because without it, I wouldn't have this community. I wouldn't have so many of the friends that I've met or even job opportunities. Like it could be the best thing and it could be the worst thing. And so she kind of explains why she got rid of it and how much she has gained from getting rid of the app. So we talk about that and that's it. I love her. She's incredible. And I hope you guys find that as well. So I'm going to stop the rambling as I always you know, do. And I'm going to get right into it. Okay. Something that I was also thinking about, (laughs) sorry, let me know, send me messages. If you're into it, I'm kind of getting back into the groove of reading a lot more self-help books and entrepreneur books and all that. So I want to start sharing it more. And I don't want to like say, let's start a book club because then it's like, I really, really need to hold myself accountable to it every single month. And I I feel like I can't commit to that, but maybe we should all just start sharing some of our books and yeah, let's do that. Send me a message. Okay. So let's get into that episode. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you guys about a super convenient service I recently discovered thanks to today's sponsor, Walmart Online Grocery. They have an awesome pickup service that makes grocery shopping so easy. Seriously, I can't wait to try it myself. I don't know about you, but the thought of having to go to three different stores to get all the items I need for the week really overwhelms me. When you shop or pick up on walmart.ca slash grocery, you're able to get everything from your supplements to fresh produce and even skincare all for the same low price as in store. The best part is when you order groceries valued at $35 or more, you can pick them up at your local Walmart in just under four hours and have them dropped off to your car for free. From now until August 31st, new customers can save $15 off their first four orders of $75 or more with code LEMONWATER60 by visiting walmart.ca slash grocery promo. Now to our episode. Hi, Noemi. How are you doing? I'm so good, Michelle. How are you doing? I mean, I'm doing well. It's so nice to finally see your face again after such a long time. You too. You too. How's life? Oh yeah, it's 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 going well. But this episode is about you. It's not about <laughs> me. So for those of you listening, I'm so excited to chat with you today because I honestly admire your work so much. And I think you're like, I don't use this word a lot, but I think you're a brilliant human being oh, because you. it's so unique for me to find people that work in the tech space or have worked in the tech space, but also in the wellness space and seeing that there is always a need to be able to merge the two together. So we'll kind of get into that a bit, but why don't you just give a little bit of an elevator pitch about you, where you're currently based, what you're up to, and then I'll just keep going. 
So first of all, thank you so much. That was super sweet. Because I, I have a dog, a Frenchie. So in case you hear barking in the back, so just be wait. Worried. That's a new addition to your family, right? Yeah, he's a new addition to my family. So he he's a I call him a quarantine therapy, but he's the cutest thing ever. His name is Milu Frenchie, very lazy dog. But um, I guess so a little elevator pitch. Wow, I need to work on that. But my name is Noemi Mawaka. I'm what you can call a serial entrepreneur which is really just a fancy jargon for someone that loves to solve problems. And I use innovation and Western resources to sort of innovate the space of African development. So I really hone in on my native country of Congo. So I, like I said, I solve problems through innovation and I find a way to monetize while making an impact on this world. So that's me in a nutshell. That's the nutshell. Okay. So where are you currently based? I'm currently in San Diego, California. You are from like your whole, I want to hear the whole story because you've lived everywhere. <laughs> Just to kind of give a quick rundown, I guess what you're trying to get to is I'm originally born in Congo, Central Africa, Kinshasa, capital city. Immigrated Canada when I was eight years old with my mom and my siblings. And then since then I've traveled quite a bit. So in my undergrad, I did like a PowerPoint presentation for my parents. I was like, I'm going to be 18 soon. Wait, 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 wait. You did a PowerPoint presentation for your parents. Yes. That's, because I'm, I'm extra. And I think if you want to make a point in life, you got to go hard. And I submitted a PowerPoint presentation, very extra. I was like, I feel oppressed. I need to travel the world. And I want my freedom. So I told my parents, I was 17 at the time, going to University of Waterloo. I was about to uh, go live on campus. I was like, it's I'm crazy that we were there at the same time and we didn't know each other. Well, I went to Laurier, so it was like we were across the street from each other. Oh my God, Laurier, where all the hot girls were. I always <laughs> used to say that, <laughs> like literally. And so I pretty much told my parents that I want to travel the world. And what I really did exactly that. I crafted my life towards merging impact, career, and traveling. And that's pretty much what I've done ever since. So where, what were you studying at Waterloo? Yeah, my, man, my degree at university. That's another subject for another day. Um, I did arts and sciences, very useless. I literally just, my last episode was my solo podcast. And which, by the way, did you ever do one? No, I mean, also as a podcast, by the way. No, but I, can, I, I always say that I will do one, but I'm like, I'm already crazy. I cannot. No, no, I mean, when I was recording, I was losing my train of thought. And so I was just mumbling and like going back and forth. And I was in my head thinking, of course, this is me overthinking, but I was like, no one knows what I'm talking about. Like literally none of this was cohesive. None of this made sense. Also, I refused to listen to the edits. So again, I don't know if it made any sense, but I'm hoping. You're jealous I'm like a full breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, I was just like, I don't understand what's going on right now. I think it's a story of a lot of people. I mean, I did arts and science in undergrad. It's funny, I was listening to um, Lily Singh. Uh, she's another one, Canadian, so superwoman. And she did an, an interview and she said the same thing. She was like, the fact that the system expects us to know what we want to do with our lives at the age of 18. And we're going into these undergraduate programs that 10 years later, you realize it's useless in the job market doesn't help you as an entrepreneur let me tell you that but i think my and then i went on after my undergrad arts and science i was so bored i couldn't pass a class for the life of me but my professors liked me so fine okay. I passed classes. we had a different experience my professors <laughs> didn't like me i failed all my classes three times and they were like michelle we're giving you a 51 just so you could pass but get out of our face get out, get out. But <laughs> 
<laughs> but like, don't you think that like, if we didn't take that path, like if we say we regret it and we wish you didn't do it, we probably, I say that I wouldn't end up where I was today. Like you like- 100%. 100%. Right. 100%. Because I think even like I went on to do, I was, I was going to go to medical school, which is the dream of every immigrant, but I failed my MCAT so bad, like so bad. I didn't get in. So then I went on to do my master's of public health. And the whole time in my class, I kid you not, I don't know if you've ever felt like you don't belong somewhere. It's the worst feeling. It's the worst feeling. So I'm sitting in class. Everybody's like, yeah, let's use government funding to do this, to do that. I'm sitting there. I'm like, why don't you create a model that's sustainable, monetizes, so then it can self-sufficient itself. Oh, no, Naomi, stop with that capitalist mindset. I'm like, capitalism, yes, is the root of a lot of issues. But capitalism is the only model that is proven to really sustain and really build economies, actually. So I literally never belong. So to your point, absolutely. If we didn't go through that, I don't think it would fuel the hustle in me. And if anything, I've kind of branded myself in using innovation and monetizing in spaces that historically speaking, don't use that model. And that became my brand. And genius. I will say, but it's funny because you were sitting in class and you, <laughs> you were getting mad at everyone for not having an entrepreneurial mindset. You're like, and how did you get here? Like, how did you get this far? Like, <laughs> it's terrible. It's, but we can't blame other people for thinking no. a certain way, you know? No, and okay. we need them. So what are you currently up to? You say serial entrepreneur, which by the way, I was watching the WeWork show did you watch it? How I like is it? it? I like it. I like it. But in the first episode, he says over and over again, he goes, I'm a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, like, no, Emmy's going to talk on this. Like, I don't want to have any negative connotation on her. Like, like, does she want to call herself this? But like, it's true. Like, I think millennials who work for themselves and are constantly developing and innovating, like we are serial entrepreneurs even though you just work for yourself so what would you classify a serial entrepreneur i mean the traditional definition serial means multiple entrepreneur just means risk taker like if you actually think about the word entrepreneur don't kid yourself it just means risk taker so a serial entrepreneur is someone that takes multiple risks now i like to mitigate the risk to maximize a successful outcome but i still take a risk so, but then in a non-traditional definition, CEO entrepreneur just means that you really have multiple streams of income and you have multiple business ventures. So in my case, it just so happened that honestly, I can't help myself. I walk around and I see problems everywhere and I see ways to solve those problems. It's a crazy brain that I have, call me crazy, but so that, and then I really take the courage to act on testing that solution. Some of those uh, those solutions that I test out fail very quickly. No one wants to pay for it. And some of them actually have a business opportunity. So that is what a serial entrepreneur is. You have multiple ventures that you're tapping into. Right. Okay. So let's talk to the first one back in undergrad. Mm-hmm. You were creating your first app, right? Is it an app? Like, let's, let's hear about that. It was a first wellness wellness tech hybrid. How did you come up with the idea? What was it? And how did you see that, you know, there was a miss in the industry and you were like, okay, I'm going to fix this. Well, I'm going to let you take it from here, but yeah, you know. So I think, I think for me, one big thing for me that I sort of have, I'm very blessed 
I have a monopoly on the sub-Saharan African market. So meaning I'm originally from Congo and I'm a firm believer that you got to help your own kind. Don't get me wrong. I donate money to the Southeast Asian community a lot in Brampton and all that stuff. But I think the African economy is really deprived. And many of us that are part of the diaspora, diaspora just means you left your home country for a new land. We owe it to help our kind. So I really think that mindset of like, depending on like, international funders, missionaries is just a colonial mindset and it doesn't help us. So I think for me at the age of 15, just a little background in Hamilton, when we were living there at the time, my family and I, I literally started garage sales. I was going around taking clothes from people, selling them on weekends. And then because I speak French, which is my native tongue, I was offering French conversations with adults that needed to learn French as a second language to get a job and they were paying me. And together that money, every month, I picked four women in Congo that were living with HIV. I literally just asked my parents, mom and dad, go on the street, there's so many poor people, pick within the network, family, friends, women that are widows and that have HIV, because it's a high rate. And I wanna microfinance those women. So I was testing out a model. So it's very easy. Okay, I'm I was, sorry, at the age of 15. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I literally coming an immigrant and reading about it and on the news, I was like, it is it's shown. You can even Google it. These are the women, this demographic, they're deprived of medication, but I don't want to just give them money. I want to empower them by letting them generate income so that if I were to die today, they at least still have revenue. What's that quote? It's like, teach someone, give someone fish, they'll be able to eat, but teach them how to fish and they'll eat. You got it. You got a sister. So that model was my first test where I sent money to my dad. My parents are separated. I sent money to my dad in Congo via bank to bank. He picked those four women. He gave them money. And those women had to be very clear how they were going to use that $100. It's as little as $100. And then the model is that with the $100, they buy cassava, they buy soap, they buy beans, they sell in the market. And as an accountability, they just had to pay me back like 20 bucks. And then I'll use that 20 bucks to finance another woman. Now, fast forward to my master's, when I was in my master's, I was wrapping up my master's of public health. I did an internship in South Africa where I was helping hospitals take medical records for tuberculosis and HIV, because there's a high rate there, and taking paper-based medical records and making them digital. Literally, I was typing. Honestly, it was a fancy word for data entry. I don't know why universities, we like to boost things. I'm like, it's data entry. I was literally taking paper, typing it on Excel, and that was how we automated the process. And so after I graduated from my master's, I applied to 150 jobs. Yep, 150 jobs. Nobody would hire me. A year and a half of unemployment, sitting in my parents' basement in Brampton, sad times. And then, you know, in desperation, I go on Twitter and I see the Gates Foundation announce that Grand Challenge Canada is looking for a young innovator. That's a woman that wants to do technology impacting women's health in sub-Saharan Africa. If you have an idea, apply. But that was so niche, like the fact that you saw that. So niche. And it was random. It was literally me scrolling to Twitter. And I kid you not, I'm unemployed, no money, barely can get hired. I'm desperate. So at this point, I just thought of the idea. I was like, what if I reach out to two Congolese hospitals that have a huge focus on women's health, which is can easily be found on Google search. And I just pitched them the idea that I did in South Africa. I'm going to take your medical records. I'm going to make it electronic. And that data is going to what you're going to use to inform policies. It's what you're going to use to reach out to private companies to raise more capital because people want data. 
anyone listening, data is your greatest currency. Data on Instagram, data on Facebook, I don't care. Data is your greatest currency in this day and age. And I did that. So I applied for the grants. I reached out to these hospitals. And Lord behold, within six months, I got the grant. I was in Congo, east of Congo, working with the hospital that focuses on women that are survivors of gender-based violence and rape, given the historical war zone. And that's how Stats Congo was born. And so to your point of like, what is a serial entrepreneur as well? That's what it is. It's, a, it's really a mindset, to be honest, to see an opportunity, go after it, act on it, and know damn well that there's a high chance you may fail, but- Being comfortable with that. You gotta be. I, I, I wake up every day. I have a journal called the Failing Journal. Every day I challenge myself to fail at something. It doesn't always have to be grand. It could just be like, I missed an appointment. That was a failure. So you gotta cultivate the failure mindset. So that was my first project. So that's all. How old are you at this point? I mean, um, I think I was, cause I went straight to my master's. So I believe I was what, 25? 25. And then you created something else. And is that the one when you got, when you won Forbes 30 under 30? What were you currently working on? I was, it was purely based on Stats Congo. And at that point, um, I look at Stats Congo. And this is another piece of being an entrepreneur and failing. Honestly, this is one of the biggest advice I could give to any entrepreneur. Know when to walk away from a venture. Because Stats Congo originally, I the idea was just to test it. That's kind of what a seed fund is. Seed fund is really to test the idea and validate it in the market. And I realized really quickly, the future of Stats Congo has to be an NGO, nonprofit organization, which God bless NGOs. They're great for tax purposes as well. And they reach marginalized populations. But I just didn't see that. I was like, I don't want to go around chasing donors. I want to create a business that's viable, that there's money coming in, was self-sustained and so forth. And we scale. And so I just didn't see that with Stats Congo. It just would not make sense and as a private model. So we raised a little bit more money. And then after that, I walked away. I left it in the hands of the hospital and they've now scaled it to their own capacity. But during that time, when I was at sort of at the end of Stats Congo, after making it on Forbes and all these conferences, I was sitting in my living room. It is a job in itself. Honestly, it's a job in itself. Of course, it's really a job in itself. So I was listening. I was sitting in the living room with my mom. Uh, my, my parents are my best friends. I love them so much. My mom is very creative, like extremely creative. My dad is the logical economist. So I have both of them in me. And I was chilling with my mom and my mom was crying. And I was like, mom, what's wrong? She was like, I am so drained of every week sending money back to Congo and getting ripped off. So a bit of a background story. A lot of immigrants, diaspora, are financially responsible for their loved ones' families back home. So they make up the bulk of the economy of low-income countries. A lot of people don't know that. So every month, my mom sends money for her brother who has a mental illness to be treated locally. But she's having to send money to my cousin who lives with my uncle. And because money is a sensitive subject, especially culturally, my cousin never provides a receipt. And so my, my mom noticed every time she's in Congo, she takes her brother to the hospital herself. She sees at least $500. And so with my network that I built with Stats Congo of doctors, hospitals, and labs, I literally look at my mom and was like, mom, what if you were just to pay the pharmacy directly? That way you don't have to rely on my cousin and that way you don't have to get ripped off. She's like, oh my God, like, I don't want to be chasing the pharmacy. I don't even blah, blah, I'm like, I got you. So Lord behold, October, 2020. Yeah, I remember specifically 
My mom and I were chilling in my living room in Brampton. We wrote a five question survey on Google form, five very simple questions. Pretty much we were targeting immigrants like my mom that are financially responsible. We went to my mom's network. We asked five of her friends, how much do you send per month? Why do you send it? Blah, blah, blah. We send it as a link on WhatsApp, which is the number one form of communication in the African community, WhatsApp. My mom took the link, sent it to five of her friends on WhatsApp. I kid you not, Michelle, we sent the survey. I will never forget. It was a Thursday night. We sent it at 7.30 PM on winter. So it was October. And then the next day at 9 AM, we got 55 responses. So those five people forwarded it to their network. And the average immigrant sends about a thousand USD a month. And so that told me that there's a market there. So this goes to market validation and seeing which business is viable. And then I tested it out. So I started, and that's like, that's when really quarantine hit us as well. I literally just tested it out. So I started with the basic. I remember we were having lunch together and you were told me yes. we're doing this. You were told me, and I was just like, oh, wow. Like, it's just, it's so, for those listening too, I don't want you to like, get overwhelmed with the sense that like, you know, we should all be doing exactly what Noemi's doing. It, it's a certain, you know, it's a certain type of person. It's a certain, yeah. it's a certain part of your brain that's like very activated and very intuitive and very focused and on. And not everyone has that, but just another thing, and sorry to totally derail no. and interrupt. It's like, why I love you so much. It's that you literally like, you look at everything at a 360 like full approach you see the bigger picture and you see how can my impact make a difference and one of the questions i received in my q a is how do i know where i fit in the wellness space like if i want to do this it's like even if you're someone who is not wanting to be a quote unquote healer or you know doesn't wow. like or a, a fitness instructor or anything like that merging something like your entrepreneur mindset, your, you know, the way your brain processes data, the way you process information, if you're in tech, even if you're in mathematics, anything like that, there is 100% a space and just seeing how you go for it and the repercussions of your impact are so powerful. And I don't, it's like, you don't even realize that. Thank you for saying that. And I think this is weird. I don't know. I, I think and I would love to even hear your thoughts on this. This is where I guess for me not to be arrogant. This is where I pride myself in not fitting in. Since I was a kid, I've never fit in, by the way. Like when I immigrated to Canada, I'll never forget this kid on the playground called me Oreo or because I'm black on the outside, white on the inside. And then like you go into the as an adult and stuff like that. When you're around, say, whites, you're too black. When you're around blacks, you're too white. When you're, so I've never fit in in that regard. And then in, in school, I was always too entrepreneurial, but then I end up in like impact-driven programs. And for some reason, impact-driven programs and universities attract the extreme socialist who really is extremely privileged and has zero clue on anything else. This is going to be a little taboo for those listening. But listen, I, which, you, no. and I, you and I talk about no, God, God bless the privilege. We need the privilege. I always say privileged people, we need their wallets. But they also are problematic when they're the ones setting policies. But the point I'm trying to make to your point of like, how do I fit into the wellness space? I guess my definition of wellness is different because I'm like, wellness is a practice. It's a mindset. Like in my case, I really prioritize traveling and downtime for myself, especially now that I'm 30, 
When I talk, you think I'm working 60 hours a week, but you'll be shocked. I work less than 20 hours a week. You'll be shocked. I always shock people when you I see You always that. told me that you always were like, Michelle, you need to figure it out. So this is how much you work. And I'm like, girl, I'm literally <laughs> working like 15 hour days. And you're like, that's a whole week's worth of work for me. I'm like, I think you're just really smart. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think the, the notion is whether you're in the commerce space, which we'll talk about my honey in a bit, I'm sure, whether you're in the commerce space, whether you're selling clothing, whether you're selling graphic design services, I tell people all the time, your greatest asset is your time, not your wallet, it's your time. And I think when you automate or you use technology to streamline your processes, what you get back is time. And I think wellness really, it's that. I think wellness is really that time for, for you to be your best self, to show up as your best self, whatever that looks like for you. For me, it means hiking, spending time with my dog, traveling, because traveling inspires me. And it just helps me really be more content. But at the same time, for you, someone else listening, it can mean something completely different. It can mean every Sunday after you go for a walk, you just spend time alone. But I think this notion that wellness means that I have to be a healer. I have to be a yoga instructor. I have to, I, I think for me, that's why I don't, and I guess for you, you can maybe explain to me based on your listeners, why do we have this silo square mindset of what wellness is? It's become this not to be rude, but like the blonde girl who's six foot five in Australia drinking kombucha. It's really word for word what I just said to you. What, explain to me why that is though. Like what, how do people perceive wellness? I guess that's what I'm trying to understand. I think that as the year, like, you know, over the past few years, just, you know, the pandemic and everything that's been happening in the world, I think people's mindsets have shifted and they do understand the importance of community wellness, financial wellness, which you are huge on. You lecture me all the time, but all those things, I think those came to light, but still, no, I mean, it's kind of like, okay, community wellness is making sure that those who live in our community are taken care of. But then are you thinking about people, I mean, outside of your community and how tech can really play a huge part in that as well. Absolutely. I'm, I mean, you nailed it. And I guess to your point, maybe I spent a lot of time, even when I was a teenager, reading books on, I'm very fascinated in like understanding humans. It's like, what makes human happy? What makes human fulfilled? And I really believe that as humans, you need to have a purpose. And I really think that our world, I mean, you compare the 20th century to the 21st century, the 20th century communities were really based on faith, right? You had faith, family, a job, and your job didn't have to be your purpose because you had faith to fulfill that purpose. But I think our generation, we've shifted now where we're seeking purpose in relationships and jobs and stuff like that. And I think to that point- And that validation. 100%. We've seen that val and I think for me to be quite honest with you, I think that validation piece, I guess, is where I just seek my validation elsewhere. And I really think this idea is that I completely agree with you. I think the world, and you can look at the data, our planet is just degrading. So we all have a responsibility to really improve this planet. And with my honey, that's one of the things I'm really focusing on is green tech. But I think people have to reshift how they see wellness and really stop trying so hard to fit yourself into the mold of society of what they tell you wellness is. Because society is fleeting, you know? What today, this is a trend, to more it's gonna be different. But when you know who you are, you spend time working on your self-awareness, you're able to maximize your talents 
and really capitalize on it. And I think there's beauty in that sense of confidence. There's so much beauty in it. I totally agree. Also, I feel like we've um we've <laughs> we've too. So what's next? <laughs> Okay, but another thing that you're currently working on, and I'm so proud of you because I remember I was one of the first people that got to try it yes. when when it was in a Mason. You were literally the first. You were the first. Not even my family. <laughs> also, those listening, Noemi, do you want to tell them how we met even? It was because of lemon water. Oh, 100%. I'm super proud of this story. I think I came across lemon water on Instagram, your Instagram page. And then I love podcasts, love podcasts, love them so much. And then I listen to your podcast and talking about wellness. This is another thing that I do. And I'm not saying this because it's you, Michelle. I listen to lemon water as part of my morning routine. So in the morning, I have a really, I think routines are so important to anyone listening that wants to be productive in life and entrepreneurial. One of the things is routine. So after I do my morning coffee with uh, my collagen, because we're big on that, (laughs) I actually listen to lemon water. So that's actually how I get into you. So Instagram, and then I click on the link and I listen to it on iTunes and it became part of my morning routine. And at the time when I started discovering lemon water podcast, I was working a nine to five job and I was miserable, super miserable. And so your podcast actually became sort of like my piece of my sort of peace in the morning. And then after that, I discovered I started creeping you. I was like, this girl's in Toronto. And I was like, let me reach out to her. So yeah, I I think I DM'd you or something. And then I was like, let's meet up. I loved it. We all have those weeks where time is the essence and a trip to the grocery store can really throw your day and productivity off. Thanks to the delivery service of today's sponsor, Walmart's online grocery, you don't have to break your routine or productivity streak. All your necessities can be delivered for a fee in as little as two hours when you spend $35 or more. You can check out walmart.ca slash grocery for more information on eligible delivery locations and the applicable fees. This way of grocery shopping is so convenient. When you place a delivery order on walmart.ca slash grocery, you can save both time and money because you're getting the same low prices as in store. I love it because you can order everything you need for the week from vitamins to a yoga mat with the click of a button and no markups. From now until August 31st, new customers can save $15 off of their first four orders of $75 or more with code LEMONWATER60 by visiting walmart.ca slash grocery promo. Now back to our episode. So let's talk about your honey come. Yeah, I know. So we're going to know watching from well not even the outside in because like I knew about it before it even happened and then watching it all happen I was like oh my god like not that listen I don't want to say this in a negative way to me I just don't want to say this in a negative way but I kind of felt like as much as I've heard people be like Michelle you're a go-getter I'm like no no, you haven't. Don't compare, Michelle. Don't compare it. You're going to it in your own way. Don't but compare. I was like so in awe how you went about launching, getting into stores, and then growing, scaling. And so I want to know how this came to be. Just talk about it. Tell us about it. All the good stuff. I'll talk about it in a way that for anyone listening that wants to tap into a similar venture, you can really do it because I, I really I really made it easy to launch this business. I would say it's one of my easiest businesses, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. So 
the honey that we sell, it's organic, literally Congo, it's from Congo, made in Kikwiti. Kikwiti is the original village. We call them village. In, in North America, we call them suburbs. Village where my dad was born and he left for the capital city. And so growing up when we were in Congo, even when I immigrated to Canada and throughout university, my dad's every month or so would send me Congolese coffee and sometimes will send me honey. So that honey is made in Kikwiti and they, it's made by female farmers because they make up the majority of agriculture field workers. And so ultimately my dad sent me, I moved to San Diego a year ago and then my dad just sent me the honey like he usually does with the coffee. And then I think it was like late summer, I was in San Diego at the beach with friends. And then I literally also, Michelle, she got it earlier the previous year, but I literally, also shipped it to uh, the US and I literally just give samples to my friends. I was like, what do you think? Do you like it? And one of my friends was in finance, get your friend that's in finance. That's super important to have that in your network. He said to me that the US has a shortage. And a doctor. A and a doctor. doctor. Trust me. Two credit friends you need in your circle, people with MBAs and MDs. But literally he told me that the US has a shortage of honey by 40 cents per person. The US has a population of 300 million or more. And right now there's an issue where Chinese honey is not getting into the U.S. market. So I was like, oh my God, that's a huge opportunity. I mean, Michelle, I sent you a sample because I was entertaining the idea and it just so happened shortly after we met, I moved to the U.S. But I was like, that's a huge opportunity. So let me break it down to you how Noemi Mawaka builds a minimal vital product to market. Number one, dad shipped me honey. My dad shipped me honey by air. It costs us $200 for about 26 kilos, which is not that much, not that much. And then next steps, I went on Amazon and Uline. Yes, we hate Amazon. Yes, Uline is not the best. But when you're starting as a business, you have to do what you have to do. You can't go full throttle, 100% sustainable, compostable. At the, at the beginning, it will kill your wallet. And number two, you got to get that product to the market as fast as possible to validate it. So Amazon and Uline, they do next day shipping. So I ordered the jar and they were super cheap. And I literally, you guys, I went on Canva, I designed a label and I'm all the minimalist design because I think we need to reduce noise in what we see. I literally designed the label super easy on Canva. I sent the order on like, I think Vistaprint. The next day I got my label, I got my jars in my kitchen in San Diego. As you see in the background, I was literally filling up jars. And then I took these jars and my friend that's in finance, he did a quick math for me. He was like, based on how much it's going to cost you to ship the honey from Congo to the U.S., moving forward as you scale. And based on California, California is the highest earning income in the country. And California, this is my target audience for the honey, because California, the most people here are very educated. They're all about wellness. They're all about organic eating. So he was like, you should price your honey at this price and make it a premium model. So you cannot be as high as Manuka because Manuka is from New Zealand and it's good for your skin and it's high protein, but you cannot be as low as non-organic honey. So our pricing is right in the middle ground, but it's still premium because it's $20 for an eight ounce jar. So I literally put it in the jar in my bedroom. I literally targeted, and this is again, market segment. I was like, where do the women, the, okay, the girl that's in California, educated, high income, who would love this honey because she values healthy eating and organic, where would she shop? And so I targeted five stores that are, and that fit my brand, because in a way I kind of fit that model, more local businesses, Boho, because that's California. 
And I literally marched into those stores. I was like, hi, my name is Noemi. Are you the manager? Are you the store owner? This is the honey. And at the time we didn't have an Instagram page. We didn't have a website. This is the honey. Can I get your email? I'll send you one pager PDF about me. And lo and behold, out of the five stores that I targeted in San Diego, all of them bought the honey. And that was in October. And ever since every month, each of them have doubled their order and their, their constant customers. And as of yesterday, we've had six more stores added to our repertoire. And I mean, the U.S. market is just that big. And then now we're also entering farmer's markets, which I love because growing up, I used to go to farmer's markets with my mom. Are you going to actually manage the booth? I honestly, I have to in the beginning. I don't have to. I technically get someone to do it, but I just want to. So. Okay, okay. I, I thought you were going to be like, no, I'm hiring X, Y, and Z. No, and I want to do like, it. Like, of course, she needs to go on her hikes. <laughs> Which is a struggle. I was like, do I go hiking or farmer's market? But I was like, I want to do it. Yeah. I love farmer's markets because I go every Sunday myself. And it's a great way to build relationship with the community. So all of this to say, and then we have our, our website, but to be honest, the bulk of our revenue is really more the stores because I really believe in the brick and mortar model still. And to my surprise, we've also attracted researchers. It turns out our honey has less glucose than most honey because it's forest honey. So it turns out, so we've had a lot of traction from neuroscience and diabetes communities in research. Yeah, I, I did not know. You learn something every day. So we've had a huge traction there. And so, yeah, so that's the honey in a nutshell. And then the latest big news, and I know, Michelle, you also one of the first ones that I share with because you were just, you, I just knew it would make you happy. I was in Congo three weeks ago visiting my parents and working on uh, my app and the honey. So I've actually wanted to meet the woman. I've never met them. My dad has, but I haven't. Because how we buy the honey, by the way, just a little bit more background, we've cut out the fair trade person because fair trade comes out of you. People don't know that. So we cut that out. What we do is we buy directly from the people making the honey and then we pay them at an equitable cost. And so what I did when I went, I wanted to meet those women and just say hi to them, which I did. And then while I was there, my dad bought 200 acres of land in, in Kikwiti. And then next to his land, I was hiking and I saw this beautiful land. I saw a bunch of women like bathing in the water. And like, I was like, this is so cool. And it was like a mountain. And I was like, this is really nice. And I asked the woman, I was like, who owns this area? They're like, the owner is actually an illegal battle and it's pretty much abandoned. So I was like, I'll buy it. So then I was able to negotiate the price and I bought the land for like 3K for 100, 100 acres. So that land is also going to be used to cultivate more honey because what people don't understand about our honey, so our honey is forest honey. Forest honey is different than the normal honey that the hives are cultivated up in the palm trees. So it's very, it's actually quite dangerous. Like you have to like hike the tree and then like capture the honey. And so we're going to plant a lot of palm trees. And then with that land, it turns out it's so big, my land, it's been with my dad's land. I want to get into the green tech space. So I may, I may test out the uh, green credit model, which is a new model in the green tech space. So yeah, that's the honey in a nutshell. Yeah, <laughs> the honey in a nutshell, but like also the fact that you went and you were able to acquire land, which is absolutely iconic and so important. <laughs> My dream, my dream, literally, like now it's like, okay, no, I mean, go build a farm and just 
stay there. Like literally, I'm building a house there. Yeah. I'm designing a mini house. Yeah. Yeah. Like just live there. And it's so great because you have that land ownership. And of course, I know that it's not not feasible for many, but it's like you have that land ownership and you're able to kind of ensure and oversee exactly what happens there, which is so powerful too. Absolutely. So with all that being said, how the hell do you find time for yourself? I know that you're saying you only work 22 hours a week, which I kind of like don't believe you. I think it's actually so funny because I feel like now I'm at a season where it sounds bad, but my parents always said to me, your 20s are your best years, your youth. So be selfish. So my thing was my 20s. I was like, I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to be selfish with my time mostly. But now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I need to be more giving with my time because giving with my money or my intelligence, that's that part, not that I'm like a millionaire, but that part I find it's easier because I was raised to be giving financially. That's how my parents raised me. So I think now I feel like I have all this time to give back. So how do I make time? I think the biggest thing, one biggest piece of advice I give to anybody, especially anybody that aspires to be an entrepreneur, you got to build a business around the lifestyle that you want, not the other way around. It's the same thing with the job. People pick careers like medicine because it makes a lot of money, but they don't take into account the hours that it requires to be a doctor. And then it equates to not being a lot of money per hour. Per hour. You, you nailed it. You yeah. nailed it. I really see my time as money. Like I really see my time as money. So I think the biggest thing with how do I make time? I think one of the biggest things I've learned is routine. I think routine is just, and it's hard for someone like me, especially when I'm traveling a lot, but routine is so important because really I wake up super early at 6.30 in the morning without an alarm clock. I meditate for like half an hour. First thing I do is drink water with lemon and I really take time to read. I read for an hour in the morning after I take my dog out for a five minute walk. I read for an hour and that time, I just need time alone to center my brain, pause, be present. And then I take a notebook. My dad always says, have three things you want to accomplish for that day. I'll write down the three. It can be as simple as today, I need to pay my bills. Like, so three things I need to accomplish for the day. Once I accomplish those things by the hardest thing to do, the longest thing to do, the easiest thing to do, cross that off. And I'm going to be honest with you, Michelle, like the rest of the time, I, I'm very big on exercising. I make sure that I exercise for at least an hour a day. It could be hiking. It could be boxing. It could be tennis. It could be the gym. And then I definitely make time that I spend at least half an hour to 45 minutes calling my family because I have an international family. And then maybe see friends or so, which I, I try to do because I'm very big on being part of a community. So I try to see my friends and family at least three times a week. But truth be told, once you have a routine and you have, you're very realistic on what you can accomplish per day, don't bombard yourself with 10,000 things to do. Be realistic. It turns out you have a lot of time. And I think also a big thing that I've realized too is removing noise. I think a huge part of it is social media. I love social media because I'm able to monetize. But at the same time, it's sad to say, I quickly realized that like I was wasting time on social media, watching and listening to things that were making me bitter and wasting my time. And once I remove that, you start to realize you actually have a lot of time. So I think it's about setting priorities. And I think removing, don't get me wrong, social media, if you love it, do it. I'm not telling you to get off social media, but I'm also trying to echo the importance that sometimes we think that we don't have time, but it's just because we have poor priorities. And I think on the business front, something that I'm very big on, I automate a lot of things. We live in a day and age of technology. If you have a small business like graphic design or service base, make sure from the beginning 
you streamline everything, use Canva, use QuickBooks. That way, literally the point of technology is to scale and to save us time. That's literally technology. So use that to your advantage. That way you have time to do things that you love or you have time to do nothing. Because sometimes you just don't want to do anything. You just want to be in bed. So And that's okay. That's okay. Oh my gosh, yes. That's okay. Like that guilt of like always being on and all the time. I used to be like that and I burnt out, burnt out, tears. So sometimes it's okay. Like I'm going to Panama. I'm leaving tonight. I'm going to Panama. I'm going to be there for five days to visit a best friend. We've been friends for 12 years and he's my business advisor. Panama is a slow city. So literally all we're doing, we're going to the island and we're going to read books. So I love that. <laughs> I may check my emails at 6 a.m., but that's about it. So I think time is something that you create, but you got to know your priorities and you got to know what to eliminate and what to maximize your time on. And I think I'm at a season of my life where relationships and yeah, my health, internal health and my relationships are really what I want to spend my time on. Your last closing, that could have just been a podcast in itself and people could just listen to it every morning as like an affirmation soundboard, you know, that was so helpful and useful. But with that being said, you're also off Instagram. I noticed that. <laughs> you're like, bye. Is it forever? I mean, good for you. I'm jealous. <laughs> Like my hiney is on Instagram and we may or may not use, I don't think I'll do the app on Instagram because apps do better on Twitter and LinkedIn. But I think Instagram is funny because I was starting to gain traction and what people really don't know about my Instagram, every post was leading to like an opportunity. Like yesterday I did an online conference in Indonesia and they found me on Instagram. So it does help out. But I think for me with Instagram, it just, the landscape has changed, right? Like Instagram is no longer about creating beautiful content, which I enjoy. I love creating beautiful things. Those don't do well anymore. So, and then number two. It's an e-commerce platform. It's an e-commerce. People have to understand that this is a big thing that I tell people all the time. Social media now is to monetize. The data is so good for these companies like Facebook, who owns Instagram, that there's no incentive for them to give you data or feed you stuff that are about you and your kitty cat pictures. Like, no one cares about that. It's become literally, I remember you tell me, you're like, Instagram is like the shopping channel. I was like, okay, no, this is what I've noticed. So I definitely 1000% agree. I find that Instagram is like literally an e-com platform. That's why my boyfriend also, he like deleted the app. He's like, this is like not a creative outlet anymore. But I'm also noticing that in between that, so many people are just like the kitty cat videos, the little duckling videos and the puppies, they're like doing so well. Oh, wow. Or like on a brand page, you can't like post that because it's not about your brand. No, but I have a friend of mine here in San Diego. That's what she does. But she gets mad brand deals. Like she told me recently that her page grew to like over 80K followers. She posts pictures of her dogs. Literally, she gets so many brands deals to the point where she quit her finance job to just because she's getting sponsored by dog so companies. Do, so the dogs are paying the rent here. Oh, oh, they're paying the rent. Like we can't even doubt social media. You can't even doubt it. Like the algorithm pays off, but you gotta know how to play the game. And I think for me, even from a mental health perspective, I'm a very, very confident person. But I started to notice my mental health, like. You, whether you like it or not, you're comparing, yourself. you're comparing yourself. I'm like, oh my God, I'm single again. This girl who's basic as hell, she's getting a man that's six foot five. What the fuck is happening? You're becoming bitter. And I'm like, that's just not the kind of person I want to be. 
And I think in terms of productivity, Michelle, it's I'm embarrassed to admit that based on my Apple Watch and data, my productivity has gone from 40 to 40% tops since I've got off. Talk about, and I'm literally, Michelle, now it's almost 10 o'clock California time. I have one more meeting and then, then I have to go to a mastermind. By noon, I'm done for the day. Then I'm grabbing my flight to Panama at 6 p.m. Like, so I'm gonna go to the beach this afternoon. Like I'm playing tennis at the beach, but like literally that's what happens. But if I was still on Instagram, literally I'll be in bed scrolling for an hour and a half. And then I'll be drained for the next two hours. So for me, it's not working anymore, but kudos to those that are still loving it. But it's, it's not for it. Some people love it. Some people don't like it. So you got to know yourself. I agree. Okay. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for sitting with me and providing so much wisdom and about all that you do and intel to, you know, I hope that those listening have at least walked away with one or two tidbits on how they're going to apply it in their own life in their own day-to-day but also please don't stress out she is a serial entrepreneur not everyone is <laughs> <laughs> don't be you just be yourself i think my my philosophy is if i can do is so can you however the biggest thing is self-awareness know what you can and cannot handle and stay true to yourself and be unapologetic let's stop trying to fit a mold like i don't i don't get that and i get it a mold helps you belong but it, it burns you out Amen. just be yourself Amen. Where can people find you, even though you're not on social? LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> it's literally like people that are like 50, 60 <laughs> bragging about their, their lives. But I think our my honey, my honey brand is still on Instagram. We don't have a huge following there, but my honey brand and our website that's linked to the honey page, you can always reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk. And yeah, thank you so much, Michelle. <laughs>